0: In today's episode, our guest will be Henry Temple Baxter. Henry is an online wealth manager who specializes in portfolio management, residency and citizenship by investment programs, pensions and tax. He is well known to legally reduce taxes and maximize wealth for his clients according to their situation. Henry has specialized knowledge in the emerging markets, especially in Southeast Asia. He also has a proven track record for protecting and growing his client portfolios. He has lived and worked all around the world and is currently based in Thailand. We talk about what sort of market recovery we can expect, a V-shaped, W-shaped or an L-shaped recovery, the logistics of oil and how he played the oil price saga, the power of dollar-cost averaging and having a long-term view, is value investing still worth it, investing in property and equities in the emerging markets, investing into emerging markets through US equities. Barriers when entering into emerging markets, and his personal investing strategy for twenty twenty elections. Let's get started. Henry, thank you so cool. much for your time and no worries. Thank you. Welcome to the Pay no, Buy Later podcast. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, how are you and your family and your and how are you coping up with the lockdown?
1: Uh, I'm coping very well. I'm coping well. Uh, it's been, been some adjustment to. The present situation being locked down um and yeah it's it's interesting and in how everything's adapted not just from a personal perspective but from a, an economic one as well from the shops and how people have kind of diverted the business so yeah but more importantly staying safe i'm actually based in um, in bangkok presently and yeah it's coming out now of lockdown so hopefully resume to, to normal business. Norm- normalcy,
0: yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, um, first, firstly, like, what led you to this uh, financial journey of yours? How did you get started? And what inspired you to do Expat for Investments?
1: So, I was in, in finance since graduation. Um, I kind of fell into it after graduation. I've been offshore now. For five years, and I've lived in through this is for a company. Um, lived in five different cities, which I got got moved to. So, in China and throughout Southeast Asia as well, I've lived in a number of of cities. And then earlier this year, just saw kind of an evolution in the the kind of finance world, um, where it was going more towards technology. So I've kind of streamlined all everything that I do online because actually uh, I don't know how it is in Australia, but I've actually worked with an Australian uh, planner, and we've I've said everything's done by by paper still. You still need to post your the the kind of documents, and it's costing clients or the company thirty dollars a time just a transaction. So I kind of streamlined everything up online and made it more efficient to kind of potentially more young investors, um, and entrepreneurs that want to kind of do things online, have it efficient and be, um, take as less time as possible and make it easy for personnel to understand. So that's what led it to me To me, this year, this I think kind of February time, started to do it up um and yeah it's been been going well
0: yeah and um you you ventured on your own only recently yeah uh, 2020 20 feb is that right yeah yeah so before yeah. that with all your experience what was the what were the main things you learned and what what got you into start venturing out on your own
1: uh what are the main things i learned i've come across uh, thousands of of personnel in um from from my experience and you were coming in you're dealing with mostly high net worth individuals so those were earning quarter of a million us plus uh and i realized i came to to kind of realize that these people they may be earning a lot but they they don't save a lot um i could probably count a hundred different times where i've come across people that aren't um they're earning high six-figure earn it, and yet have less than fifty thousand dollars to the name at, at fifty. And I think one of the things that puts them off is they get confused by what is investing, how much they need to save, and kind of all the jargon that's out there, um, because it's it gets it's confusing, right? There's a lot of stuff online. There's all different opinions. So I think it's it's just quite clear just to cut through the opinions and just go straight to the basics of, of what people need to do to to start investing.
0: Yeah. And um, your business is located in Philippines? And is it?
1: Uh, it's it's actually, we've done it out of Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's out of Hong Kong. I think I did stay in the Philippines for a while, yeah. um uh, But it's short. It's it's
0: it's moving it's around with place. you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not the best place to be, uh the Philippines. So yeah, yeah. It's it's an out of Hong Kong. We're looking to go into it's kind of Singapore as well.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So what what are your future plans with the business? How do you like in five ten years? What do you want to be? Do you want to expand to like countries like Australia? um like further asia europe everywhere and have different
1: yeah so basically we went through this through the day basically we want to look at more kind of the younger demographic and get them into to finance early because they're they're what needs to do it and reach that throughout um hopefully for for throughout we'll start with kind of um asia first reaching out to the younger or Pacific shall I say the younger demographic and teach them more about kind of investments and uh, how to, to save properly yeah. in that context
0: right okay and uh, we'll now dive into like the current situation global equities and yeah. my first story so what so do you think we have seen like a massive bounce of the loss March 23rd loss do you think in your opinion do you think out of the woods yet or is there more more pain to come more uncertainty more volatility how do you manage as as
1: far as the mark as far as the market's concerned potentially yes um i think we could be in for a kind of a a w-shape um recession the the imf's gone on record and said that we could be uh having a bigger recession than what the 2008 uh said and you look at the kind of the statistics the market isn't correlated with the economic data for example Apple's share prices is, is almost the same as what it was january this year before the pandemic kind of actually took its toll but yet apple isn't selling as much products as what it was five six months ago so you've got to think about that that correlation the the, the markets are looking six months into the future so I think if you see bad Q3, Q4 data um, worse than what, what's been anticipated by analysis, yeah, I could see it um, and that could bring, bring fear into it. So definitely what I've been doing with clients is, is putting more into um, defensive portfolios because will, you see the SMP, it lost 30%. It's almost back to what it was prior um and yet it's not correlated by the economic data of of any countries they're just anticipating it because the kind of statistics are looking a bit better in the us uh europe and and asia uh so to speak so yeah i think if if any kind of shocking q3 q4 data data comes out from gdp levels yeah I, i could see the market's reacting significantly to that
0: yeah another leg down, and also i see um, a lot of formal speculation and a lot of people getting into the markets with not much knowledge in fundamentals so as the old saying goes i think it was 1930s when they said when the shoeshine boy yes. <laughs> stock tips uh, get away and also i saw that in bitcoin 2017 when everyone literally everyone was getting into Bitcoin. That's when it crashed. So that's why I'm like trying to preserve capital rather than you know getting into the rally. But yeah, yeah, it's a very emotional game sometimes. Yes. Yeah. That's that's yeah. That's one of the main reasons. Like a lot of people I know as well, they're like holding back because of there's so many people, especially on like these groups, Facebook groups, and everywhere they're asking about stock tips. So, you yeah. get a bit skeptical, and usually they say only when you know that is like there's capitulation after that as well, and then you have the clear bottom.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've I've I must have had a hundred or so people yeah. ask me about oil ETFs because obviously oh, oil went yeah. down. Um, I'll give you. I think I I actually personally invested a a few clients in that but what a lot of people don't understand is it one it, it doesn't track oil an etf is just something made up of something else so how how that works is it tracks future contracts in the oil and then tries and replicates it um the price of oil that way and the most one on robin hood was uslp fund uh, United States oil fund, which had a massive kind of surplus of intake when it when it kind of dropped. But yet no one knew what they were getting into. No one knows how these these oil funds work and how actually dangerous they they are because they're it actually is no one was buying the future contract, hence we had negative oil prices. And it could have liquidated the whole fund. So uh yeah I put clients in in that fund but knowing the risk we we kind of mitigated it with five ten percent of of their portfolio and it it paid off because i know kind of how logistics of oil works with the opec and what was happening with with the situation with russia um saudi and the us how they will not let it happen with with their fracking and whatnot but i think it was quite scary to see many people just go into it without knowing what was what was happening, or or what, or knowing what they were doing, they thought. And I've I've known people invest people's money um into these oil ETS January time and lose massive amounts of money because they thought it tracked oil. So yeah, it's definitely do your research before you're you're investing. I think that's a a key one, especially if you see dips and and whatnot. Just just read. It's don't automatically go to to invest just because something's fell
0: yeah and the funny thing is i think i know a few people a few climate climate change advocates going into oil too they saw really? the they're like all in oil
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so that was pretty funny to see so whenever there's a dip it's like you know it rings a bell saying oh it's a you can get rich off it get make some instant money so it's pretty dangerous, as you said, not knowing what you 're getting into, so yeah I'll, yeah, and I think That's... investor
1: investor kind of mentally they um, they they want to kind of get rich quick, they want this kind of magic box um, when actually it 's very rarely out there the The kind of magic box is just using compound interest and dollar cost averaging that that most people don't don't do that is the magic box it's not a something that's going to get you 50 percent in a week because that rarely happens and, and you're 99 percent more likely to lose that money than than gain it mm. um so yeah it, it's definitely better to to know yeah. and read up for yourself on what are the best options
0: yeah and uh, another concern was like so especially like people who invested without much knowledge, who, they've made significant yeah. gains, say 40, 50%, even like 100%. Do you think they'll get a false sense of reality that they've made good decisions and they'll slack off risk management going forward? Would that yeah. affect, yeah? Yeah,
1: I do. Yeah? I do. Uh, if someone makes 50% gains quickly without much knowledge, I think, they. The kind of psychological makeup is that they can do it again. So I think they're gonna they're gonna be less risk adverse and think we can do it again when the market market goes. And obviously statistics show and market show that it won't happen.
0: Yeah. And so the best way to avoid it is to have unless you have to establish a system first, and unless it abides with your system, you shouldn't get in because even if you win or lose, you wouldn't know why you won or lose. Yeah, uh,
1: understand the risk. I think yeah. I, I put clients and I actually did it personally with my portfolio um, into oil and the S&P 500 I topped up when it went down. Um, but I, I mitigated it with what proportion of my portfolio I went in and I kind of understand understood the, the logistics of, of oil. Uh, oil production I know they can't make too much of a profit and it's down because the economy is down the imports and exports because of the lockdown Um, and have a kind of rough idea of how OPEC worked that it's not going to sustain at kind of the level it was Uh, but also I I was there was a 20% of me that thought okay but this could go to could go a lot lower if things get get worse so you've got to mitigate the risk with the smp as well um it topped up as well because i have a been in, in the SP tracker because when it went down but again i kind of have a, an understanding of how it how it works and i use dollar cost averaging anyway in my investments. so it kind of just yeah. works for the better if it yeah. goes down
0: so, um, do you manage investments from all around the world, like I have clients all around the world, or do they have, like, do they have specific countries they want to invest in, or do you manage global equities?
1: Um, I invest in. I have clients all around the world, and where they invest in is, I mainly prefer U.S. equities, um, just because they're, they're kind of the gold standard. It's what Buffett. Likes or pre- prefers, uh, history will tell us that they'll keep growing. Um, and also, I'll, I prefer the SP 500, uh, just because of the kind of diversification in itself. A lot of people prefer or, or like the emerging markets like India, uh, Vietnam, China. I stay away from those to to some extent uh especially the small caps because if you take for example procter and procter and gamble one of the us's biggest kind of um companies where are they getting most into it's into india same with unilever rekit ben kaiser they're getting into these emerging markets more amazon as well more than what the local companies are doing, it. and where are they? Like, where are they located? On what exchange? It's the US exchange. So, I would argue to some extent, if you're into uh, a US large cap companies tracker, you're already getting into these emerging markets. Well, if you look at the, I'm not saying you can't make money in Indian shares at all. Um, I'm just saying that they have a lot more risk because of the legalities of the exchange, they don't have to have the compliance that the US, Australian exchange, UK exchanges do. Uh so they can be a lot more risky and have a lot more kind of kind of corruption within the in the stocks and shares than what you would having uh on a on a, for example, US Australia exchange. So yeah, that's why I prefer for us large caps also australian and, and uk as well i'm in favor of those but in terms of emerging markets i keep them to a minimum in my por- portfolio for clients yeah, that's, I think, that's yeah
0: uh, that's an excellent way to look at it i never i never thought of looking it up looking at it that way so yeah that's pretty awesome and as because you talked about buffett do you think So we are in like a historically low level of interest and I personally don't feel like interest rates will go up in the near future and Fed is gonna protect the assets whatever happens. So do you think value investing in this case, in this environment is still worth it or do you think it's overrated and people should look for growth instead? I think value investing
1: is harder uh, definitely, because of the high PE ratios than what it was prior. Um, I still think value investing has a. It should be. Um, it should be done, but it obviously, with what, how high the markets are, there's a lot. It's it's harder to find a good value stock. You'll probably have to go into more small caps, uh, and really do your research to find a good value invest. So for the for the average investor, uh it's it's gonna be a lot harder to look for those um for those value value stocks. I'm not saying it's it's impossible at all, but yeah, it's it's gonna be a lot harder. Uh so I personally prefer just, just large cap growth stocks that'll continue to be around in 10, 15 years time, which have a kind of uh a business model that is essential to to people and personnel
0: yeah and they have as you said they have like a global influence and scale scalable to the sky like limitless
1: yeah
0: yeah gotcha so um what what were some like early life obstacles or mistakes you did which now when you look back you're thankful for
1: uh when i was 16 17 i went all into one stock i think that's my first Kind yeah. of financial thing. I think I had a about ten thousand, ten thousand dollars. I saw it, saw it went down. I, I knew little about the market, and just went into this one stock. It was a kind of record company, HMV, um, and yeah, plummeted because record sales, uh, especially retail ones, went down. And that was my first major major lesson, and that kind of got me from there about. Looking more into to finance and in, investing from a kind of real life perspective and how to do it properly, and that goes back to our point about investing just because something went down. I think that went down thirty uh, percent and yet it lost right. so I was like oh, it's a great time to get in um, then and yeah it lost a majority of the money so
0: was this the two thousand eight or dot com bubble
1: yeah, I think it was uh, yeah two thousand and eight two thousand nine okay
0: yeah right. so what, got in? Yeah, you've been investing for so twelve, thirteen years now. What were your biggest lessons? And say, okay, so say, for example, if you were back in two thousand eight, what would you do differently?
1: Uh, yeah, I won't put it all in one stock.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, for starters.
1: Yeah. Although, yeah, uh, although uh, if if anyone's a big fan of Buffett, the he actually and Ken Fisher, they actually talk about diversification being, being bad um, because they believe in you can only find so many good stocks. And I think Buffett says his, his portfolio you know, has three, three stocks, for example. But let's face it, n- not many of us are, are Warren Buffetts that's, and also have the time of uh, researching all these these specific stocks so yeah go for a more diversified approach um low index funds a big advocate of low index fund um uh investing so just putting it into kind of an SP 500 tracker just because it's they're cheap you don't have the management fees that you would have in uh in other stocks for example morgan stanley in there Some of their funds, they charge 5% up front and 1.64% and the same with hedge funds. They charge 220. Um, So just before that, you're at at a massive disadvantage. So yeah, I like low-cost index funds. You look at historical returns, they're getting 8% a year over any 20% inception. Uh, In terms of stocks and funds i prefer large cap growth stocks
0: yeah large cap growth yeah that's great and um so how did you get so when you started off with uh, shares how did you eventually get into property and other investments what were what were your first investments in terms of property or real estate uh i've got some property
1: in the uk um basically i've just in terms of property i've just done what i've done uh what i've known is the area that i know i haven't gone for anything kind of too outrageous with property i know property in western countries go on an 18 year macroeconomical cycle so i've just invested uh and just left it there from other assets that is so it's just just in my local area right. bought a property yeah, I haven't gone for anything too outrageous in that.
0: In emerging countries, have you invested uh, in emerging countries like in property?
1: I put a bit. Of, I've got a shared, not fully. I've bought kind of one in um in Thailand. Jump, jump! My view on emerging markets. Yeah, please, because um, I was gonna. Food?
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you like where you want. Uh, where do you see the most growth in the coming twenty twenty the decade? Emerging markets. Where do you see like okay. the growth, most growth?
1: So for for property or equities,
0: uh, or a bit property, of both. Bit of both. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, for to invest in property right now, the best emerging market with the laws is by, uh, for me is Cambodia. Um. It's growing at about 7% GDP per year. It's mass influxation of money. I think the time to get in is now. I think give it a year, it'll be too late. A year, 18 months. Um, There's some laws around it for foreign investors, but they're pretty lax compared to other places, emerging markets. uh, You can't buy land unless you're a corporation or you get citizenship. But you can still get condos pretty pretty easily, um, so that's the best one for me right now. Um, and also, you're looking at about two thousand dollars per, per square meter, so it's still pretty pretty cheap. And this is in Phnom Penh as well, capital. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there. Companies are going. It's got a good growth rate. It's very open in terms of foreign investment. So you know which direction the country is going to go. Uh, and you can do it in us dollars that's not always the best option but it's stable um vietnam i'm big fan of kind of that that's more there's some restrictions in property in buying property in vietnam uh in terms of you can only buy let foreigners buy set amounts in certain districts and it's there's complications in in doing it there's Uh, There's quite a lot of kind of legal stoppage. Although in 2015 it did become more open for foreigners to to buy. The economy in places like Saigon, they're growing. Well, Vietnam, even this year, looked to have about 6.8 GDP level uh, growth, even with the coronavirus. Places like Saigon, the the city's booming. You've got a 10, 15 percent growth in in that city it's just it's just booming right now uh so yeah that's my second the third one is malaysia um uh, you can buy land in malaysia the ringgit is an undervalued currency um and yet when you look at compare it to kl for like for like cities in the region for example bangkok um it's still a few thousand um per square meter less, and um, but yeah, I'd say argue that is more developed. So, yeah, they're they're my three three top ones for for buying. So Cambodia, Vietnam, KL right now, uh for different reasons to invest in in property. If you were to look at it, um, obviously it. T- I wouldn't uh advocate just going out and buying one because you see one on the posters or whatnot. Just do your research because I've seen. Yeah posters for one in Bangkok in China and it's 20, 20k 30, 30k outside of the city centre but Chinese don't know this or neither the people that have done their research so it's it's cheaper, reason so yeah it's, it's, with any emerging markets whether it be property or investing it still requires some research You're not, you can't just put your money in and hope it goes up um, you will need to do some due diligence your own side
0: yeah enough so as you might know like property in australia is very expensive especially for someone in their teens or 20s who's trying to get into the market in the first place so they need to save up for like years before they get their foot in the door so in that case do you think venturing out to an undervalued property market which is not in a boom like a at a expanded state yet is um, possible strategy? Yes.
1: Uh, it, it definitely is. Uh, I also think Australia still has a good property market. Um, you look at the growth of Australia, it's, it's got a lot more, lot more space for, uh, for people to come in, look at the land space. I think, and also if you look at, if you understand macroeconomics and how Western, property cycle works um it will continue to grow in in large cities in australia uh over the the long term but obviously like you said most people most young people it is out of the reach uh for them so investing in offshore offshore yeah i i do believe it is an option but like i said before just make sure the due diligence done diligence. prior yeah um yeah Presently I'd stay away from places like Thailand uh, because there's strong, strong Thai bar no fluxation. but yeah I'd definitely if, if you if you're a young property investor uh, yeah it's, it's definitely worth having a look at and looking into those uh, those areas
0: right what other in that case so say if someone's interested what are the main barriers is it like citizenship or culture what would be the main barriers to entry in if they want to invest um, in another country
1: so if you're looking to invest in places like uh, cambodia malaysia um they allow laws where you can buy condos for foreigners pretty easily you're not allowed to uh, with the exception of malaysia japan you can't buy land that's kind of a non-given for, for foreigners so you've got to buy condos um the the hardest barrier is would be just actually finding a, a kind of decent uh real estate agent or finding a decent property that'd be the one but also um you'd have sometimes an english language barrier the exception of malaysia and singapore um so finding a, a kind of real estate agents that can translate the documents into to english is is a barrier that you come across in in that one
0: right and um, especially i feel like because because of this whole covid situation everyone the trend the new trends are working from home remote schooling and i see like especially people in my age they want to travel more and they don't want to settle in one place so yeah in that case like the expat lifestyle how do you think that will fit in this new like paradigm shift do you think it's favorable for the expat lifestyle and will more people embrace that i
1: think um there'll be uh i think there'll be less expats but more nomads so what i mean by that That makes sense an expat is when a company sends their employee out um to a different country to work and they have to pay them a high salary the the schooling for the kids and health packages and whatnot so it's i think it's costing employees more so and, they're, and they're learning now look we can do this they don't have we don't have to pay this huge amount for people to go overseas uh so i think there will be less expats from 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 that perspective but more nomads because more people are working online so that gives them the freedom to work from anywhere they want in the world um uh, so they can work from Places like Bali is a big one, Chiang Mai in North Thailand, um, wherever you want. You can work within reason with re- residency and citizenship. You can work wherever wherever you want. So I see more nomads and people working online that can have the option to work wherever they want and going to different places.
0: Yeah, so the first steps of being a nomad is pretty much having your own infrastructure, like having your own online business, online audience. So that'll, if someone's trying to be a nomad, that would be the first steps to take to try and build an audience or their business online and they can travel anywhere pretty much. Yeah. Right. Okay. And um, finally, um, you're like specialized in taxes. Um, Yeah. That's one of your main attributes. So for someone who's still working at a job, what would be the main strategies to legally reduce tax and preserve their wealth? Like, Uh,
1: if you're getting taxed at source, it's, it is quite hard. So for example, if your employer is taking the tax out um, uh, of your your salary, it's, there's not much that, that can be done. Unfortunately, you can talk to HR and talk about the legal logistics for an independent person there's depending on what what country you're in uh say for example if you're working australia's independent there's a lot of ways you can uh look at tax i put reinvesting more into your super uh even things like children savings plans if you've got children married so there's a lot of ways for each individual circumstances you can reduce tax and also for another example is for for people that are they've got their own businesses or are uh, working independently for taxes actually through residency and citizenship. So for example, in the UK, if you're in say X amount, you're paying 40, 45% tax, um, or corporation tax of 30%. If you put it through Hong Kong, you're paying 17%. And legally there's ways where you can reduce your tax on foreign foreign income by citizenship if you've by another passport if you get kind of St. Lucian passport or St Dominic St. Kitts. Um uh, you know, uh, so yeah, there's 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 ways where you can reduce it if you have both if you're living in places like Australia through legal means, through um or if you're an independent worker and wanted to go offshore through citizenship and residency ways as well
0: yeah and um um what was the so what is your final what is your definition for of freedom
1: um having enough finances to live the way you want to uh while not having to worry about finances so for example doing the job you want to do uh the way you want to do it without having to worry about money so it difference for for every individual
0: and uh, so, did you yeah did you at any point sorry. reside reside in hong kong as well
1: uh yes i've been in hong kong
0: okay cuz when i initially reached out to you i actually thought you reside in hong kong but now i know that you're in thailand so. yeah hong
1: kong's not the best situation to be right now
0: yeah uh, i that's a bit. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that as well because I listened to. I got up in the morning, listened to Trump's speech because I was up, and he pretty much yeah. declared war indirectly <laughs> with. So. Yeah. yeah uh, I feel. Yeah.
1: I actually thought a year ago Hong Kong would would be okay. This was when the protests first started happening. I, I was actually. I saw them a lot in Hong Kong. I've I've been barricaded in shops in Hong Kong where I couldn't get out because of the protests. And I wasn't worried about it because you looked what it was. It was still a low-tax place, which is the best place to do business in the world because of the business rules. It's vote number one in the world. It's a gateway to China. It's a financial hub. I wasn't wasn't too worried about it. Neither were a lot of the kind of long-term expats that lived in hong kong uh they weren't weren't too worried about they saw it as an inconvenience of course but they weren't now I'm i'm i think i knew eventually hong kong would die um out because of the china legislations uh i think now it's yeah it's looking pretty scary for hong kong especially if the u.s implements its kind of restrictions and puts it them and china in in one belt, I think it loses its financial freedom um, yeah i i I'm quite worried about Hong Kong in short with with what's happening uh, I don't think it can maintain itself as a financial hub for for much longer if, if this continues um, and what China's done as well so yeah i I see that in Hong Kong I'm pretty worried
0: okay and um one last question so as you know 2020 has already been a roller coaster and i feel like the uncertainty volatility will last for like at least the end of elections how will you be positioning yourself would you be trying to react or would you try to react to news and follow the trend or would you like position like make a bit of bold predictions and position yourself accordingly from
1: a from a portfolio perspective yeah no i don't try i won't try and predict uh what's going on uh i actually 2016 elections at a conference and the world's biggest fund managers were doing the kind of speech for example and telling us what's going to happen um and this was i'm not going to name the fund at all or the managers but it was a huge global pension fund and they had made showed me a powerpoint on how clinton was going to win and um how they'd already balanced their portfolio for that um on on these predictions and why she was going to win so and they'd put that they significantly when trump got in they lost 20% 20% of their portfolio because they'd better it, re it. So will I invest anything or hedge bets? No, I, I, it's not going to, the way I, I invest is like I said before, large cap growth okay, stocks yeah. that it won't have m- much difference who, who's president because the intrinsic value is, is going to grow over the long term. So
0: yeah, yeah
1: I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. And if I see any v- value, um, from the markets because of the election yeah i'll invest but yeah will i make any alterations no i'll just
0: yeah that's very good uh that's very good advice instead of scanning for new opportunity new risky opportunities you like to stick it stick with the large caps who are destined to yeah. thrive in any condition yeah, yeah i've
1: yeah. with a portion of my portfolio the one that i invest in large i I don't look at it. This may sound a bit crazy. I don't look at it because I know say 10, 15 years time it, it's, it's going to grow and I'm I'm not too worried about the noises about what people say or what that so for a proportion of my portfolio. I just leave it there and just, just let it, let it work.
0: Let it do its so magic. That, yeah. <laughs> the magic of compound And, um, where can the audience reach you and connect with you and what, would, what can they expect from you?
1: Sure. Uh, you can reach me on my website investmentforexpats.com uh, Also, LinkedIn, Quora. Uh, you can reach me as well. Um, what to expect? I guess just easy, simple advice really. Uh, That just sticks to simplicity rather than than complexity.
0: Yeah, and it's very easy to get uh, clouded because there's so much financial media and information now. And sometimes you get you get along with it and you forget the basics. And then when looking back, that's where you went wrong because you didn't stick to the basics. So, yeah, that's a good point. And what are your top um, resources for you know keeping up to date? researching what do you use like books internet any specific websites you use or people you follow
1: for uh for my for my one i just use read the intelligent investor benjamin graham i tell that's the best book of all time that should be the bible um uh, i think name john beagle uh common sense investing another one and ken fisher probably the three main books that i'd recommend to read that just kind of simple um to follow just use whatever buffett says as uh as a real guide. just just listen to him he he's become one of the richest men in the world from investing just listen to him rather than uh, than anyone else for example
0: yeah that's really good advice um before we close out any final comments final like any advice you want to give to the audience who's like so the audio ideal audience would be someone in their 20s who's trying to you know invest and explore global opportunities so what would be your ideal advice for them
1: uh start saving young uh use compound interest as well that's the only one So, use compound interest start saving young do it simple uh the only advice you need really when you're young use use compound interest dollar cost averaging keep it simple and you'll do well
0: yeah over the long term yeah yeah that's amazing thank you so much henry for your time and your no thank you and uh, i wish you all the best with your business your blog and your investments cheers thank you thank you everyone for listening I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new from this episode. If you did, make sure you like, comment and subscribe. And if you know anyone who would benefit from the content we covered today, make sure you share it with them and add some value to their life. Have a blessed day and take care.